Now, the Biden administration has decided that uh, it will, through the Pentagon, dishonorably discharge service members. These are members of the five branches of service, uh, being, of course, the United States Army, the United States Navy, United States Air Force, United States Marines, United States Coast Guard, and, of course, the United States Surgeon General's Department, which is a separate branch of service. But these uh, five major branches of service uh, for those who serve and do not have uh, their vaccinations up to date. Now, there's a problem here, and this was raised by a senator. And the, uh, the, uh, the uh, discussion, of course, is, of course, that if you dishonorably discharge someone from the United States military, in several states across the United States, uh, the, uh, the, the, there's a penalty uh, for, for being dishonorably discharged. The word dishonor in and of itself carries a, a almost felony level of conviction. And therefore, according to Alabama's Senator uh, Tommy Tuberville, uh, is that, did I say that right? Tuberville. Is it Tuberville or is it Bubbaville? He's from Alabama. I don't know. He's a good old boy down there just talking his bit, you know, and all that. Yeah, get her done. You know, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's, that's a totally different topic. But so this senator, a gentleman from Alabama, a Republican, came out and said that we have to think twice about just deciding to dishonorably discharge service members for their religious reasons, uh, medical reasons, or other reasons that they chose not to take the vaccine. Maybe they have some natural immunity. Maybe they have some other, uh, other issues with the vaccine that, that they can't take it. There are people who have issues with blood clots who cannot have it. Now, remember, some of these soldiers and service members, Marines and airmen, uh, sailors, suffered injuries in their service. And because of that service, they are uh, went through medical procedures, which make them susceptible to blood clots and other conditions that are side effects of the vaccine. And therefore, it may not be wise for them to be taking this vaccine. So by dishonorably discharging them for refusing to comply with army regulations or military regulations or Pentagon regulations, you are actually creating a, a condition wherein you're penalizing someone who has served honorably their country, perhaps even won some of the highest medals, maybe even the Medal of Honor, and then telling them, well, because you won't take this one shot and it doesn't meet our, our demand or our design or our mandate, uh, you're embarrassing the president, you're embarrassing the administration, you're embarrassing the politicians, you're embarrassing the Democratic Party, therefore you're out, and not only that, you're dishonorably discharged, which means you have no pension, no benefits, you can't apply for student loans even under the GI Bill, uh, you can't apply for a housing loan as a veteran, all your veterans' benefits are basically stripped because you were dishonorably discharged from the military. In other words, you were fired from the military. And yet their actions of service aside from this one point, we're not dishonorable. In fact, this may be a level of honor that we don't even know or understand, that they have to be true to themselves and honorable to themselves in order to be able to continue to live. And maybe that's why they're not taking the shot or taking the vaccine. So Senator Tuberville of Alabama raises that very valid point. Let's listen to what he has to say from the Senate floor and why it is important that, okay, fine, if they have to leave the military, let them resign but let it be a separation with honor that is not uh, a, a basically criminal penalty or some kind of penalization for what is their constitutional right as an American citizen to be able to do. 
Secretary of Defense what I thought was a simple question. As the leader of the Department of Defense, was he against dishonorable discharges for members of the military who decided not to get the COVID vaccine? He hem-hawed around, but he never answered my question. But to me, it's simple. The answer should be, we will not dishonorably discharge those who serve honorably. Our country is defined by the, defended by the bravest men and women in the world. Each raise their hands and pledge their lives to defend our nation and our way of life. Our service members stand the watch while we go to work. We spend time with our families and enjoy freedoms they vow to protect. You know, when COVID broke out, our military was there for the American military members and was also mobilized in all 50 states to serve as nurses, doctors at hospitals. They drove ambulances, set up food banks. They delivered critical supplies and they worked to keep order. But how does the president thank them for their service? A dishonorable discharge for deciding not to take the vaccine. That's ridiculous. Receiving a dishonorable discharge means they lose all their veterans' benefits and their pension. And in some states, it's on par with a felony conviction. That means they lose their ability to vote or to carry a gun, not to mention what it does to their ability to find a new job. A dishonorable discharge is and should continue to be handed down for only the most rep reprehensible conduct in the military. Now, I'm for the vaccine. I've taken it, my family's taken it, and I continue to encourage others to talk about it and talk to their doctor about it. I also respect the chain of command. I know how important it is for soldiers to follow orders, but this vaccine is still new, and I'm sure the Department of Defense can look at other ways to manage our force rather than put a stain on the reputations of the men and women who wanted to serve and have served their country. Now, in the latter part of the speech, uh, Senator Tuberville went on to discuss how uh, defense contractors and, in fact, the defense capability of the United States, our national security is put at risk by policies that are sweeping and do not take into consideration uh, the uh, medical rights of individuals and not only that, the legal rights of individuals with their right to not accept the vaccine by pushing a mandate that is legally not being questioned even by federal judges in court. Uh, we know of today that a federal judge has issued an order requesting to know why exactly you're forcing a mandate for injections and inoculations when in fact there are now medications that have come out from Merck. I don't know uh, how to spell that properly, but I know how to say it. So, Merck, it's a German firm, you know, that German time. You know. Yeah. Uh, we have it here. Yes. So, that's that's what the Germans are saying. They have a pill. Pfizer, which is also highly German. <laughs> so, you know, I guess they're Austrian. But but <laughs> you know, the Austrians uh, do have a, a, a ominous reputation. Remember, there's that guy with the little mustache who came out of Austria. But uh, that aside, the, the, the companies... Uh, say that they have a, uh, uh, a, a therapeutic, which may or may not be 
filled with oxycodone or may or may not be filled with uh, uh, with uh, ivermectin or may or may not be filled with uh, with uh, um, hydroxychloroquine. We, we don't know what they're filled with because the patents are so deeply rooted and protected that we don't even know. So for all we know, they already have a cure of some kind, these big pharma firms. And yet they're requiring billions and billions of dollars be spent more inoculations for more and more and more and more and more people that we don't know fully the 100 side effects of it i mean that fourth leg that's growing out of my ass hey I, it's it's just a side effect that's acceptable you know the, the the great cell phone reception that i get after after i had my uh, second shot for pfizer hey it worked out pretty well you know listen to me now it only have some minor side effects every now and then you have to listen to that backwards to understand what I just said. But anyway, uh, as as we're talking about this, and seriously, and I do mean seriously, it can pose national security risks. And these national security risks have to be looked at considering of the troubling world that we are in. And let's listen again to Senator Tuberville of Alabama and exactly what he has to say about the situation. Which brings me to another point about the impact of the Biden administration's vaccine mandates. When President Biden made his sweeping vaccine mandates, he did so with hubris or excessive confidence that Americans would just support the policy simply because it was competent that the administration had implemented it. But the vaccine, the back mandates are short-sighted and they're ill-conceived, and they threaten our national security. Here's how. First, it creates a false choice for our defense contractors. They are forced to choose between coming to their job and working to support our military or taking a new vaccine that they don't want. Their decision should be between their doctor and their patient. Second, it puts the important and critical performance of our defensive industry in jeopardy. Alabama alone is home to 5,000 defense contractors. When these firms are unable to perform, our country is at risk. And third, the guidance for compliance has changed with little or no warning. This moving of regulatory goalposts creates uncertainty and drives up compliance costs, especially for smaller firms that lack large HR departments. So last week, I called on the Senate Armed Services Committee Chairman Jack Reed to schedule a hearing on this issue. I want to hear straight from the small business owners who are struggling to figure out how to comply. We need to know just how disruptions and how dis disruptive in their ability to complete their work may impact the defense supply chain. I also want to hear from expert witnesses within the Department of Defense. We need to have a full picture of the current state of the vaccine compliance. If the Senate were to take action on a solution, it is critical that we have all the facts. I also sent a letter to the President urging him to reverse course on his federal contractor vaccine mandate. On Monday, the White House backed down from their arbitrary deadline of December the 8th with the announcement of 
new flexibilities and their guidance. While this step is in the right direction, they haven't gone far enough. The vaccine mandate is still a compliance burden on small contractors, no matter how flexible the White House tries to make them. Our workforce will still will be unnecessarily impacted and our national security will still be at risk. So I'd encourage the White House to focus on protecting Americans, American liberties while pursuing a hostilistic strategy to combat COVID. It's time that President Biden recognizes that mandates are not the answer. Frank conversations between doctors and patients are the answer. I yield the floor. The Senator from Utah. Mr. Meanwhile, we leave you with the uh, one senator who was actually uh, openly admitted to getting uh, uh, COVID-19, and that, of course, was Senator Rand Paul, who is a top-ranked surgeon. I mean, Senator Rand Paul does not need to go into political office or government service to, uh, to uh, uh, earn money, unlike some others in the Senate or government who can't find a job in the private sector. Rand Paul is a top surgeon. And uh, in fact, it is it, an innovative surgeon. His, his, some of his surgeries uh, have, have wound up in, in the top forms of procedure around the world. He's an actual, real hands-on doctor. Literally, as a surgeon, it is hands-on. Dr. Fauci isn't. Fauci is a administrator. Fauci himself uh, may have the, the rank of a doctor, but he hasn't actually practiced medicine on a patient in 30 years. He's done a lot of scientific study, but has he treated anybody on a regular basis? No. In fact, there's even rumors that he probably can't because of some other legal constraints that, that he's been into. He's done a lot to beagles and puppies, you know. Uh, he's done a lot of experimentation. Uh, he's funded a lot of research, hint, 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 where exactly we don't know because he doesn't want to talk about it. But let's listen to Rand Paul, a real doctor who's really cured and saved lives, and this other dude who, for all we know, caused this very outbreak. Yeah. Fauci versus Rand Paul. A round of questioning at the Senate and the most disrespectful response from a government servant to a representative of the people that we've recently seen in the Senate as we leave you this afternoon with a little bit of a rumble on the floor. <laughs> Senator Paul. Dr. Fauci, in a recent British study, David Wiley and others found that no symptomatic reinfections from COVID-19 after following 2,800 patients for several months. In fact, there have been no reports of significant numbers of reinfections after acquiring COVID-19 naturally. Shane Crawdy, a vir virologist at La Jolla Institute for Immunology, concludes from his experiments that the amount of immune memory gained from natural infection would likely prevent the vast majority of people from getting hospitalized disease, severe disease for many years. In this study, which was published in Science, Dr. Crowdy 
showed that antibody levels stayed relatively constant with only modest declines over six to eight months. Dr. Crotty reported that notably memory B cells specific for the spike protein or RBD were detected in almost all COVID-19 cases with no apparent half-life at five to eight months after infection. In other words, Dr. Crotty found significant evidence of long-term immunity after COVID infection. Furthermore, Dr. Crotty noted B-cell memory to some other infections has been observed for as long as 60-plus years after smallpox vaccination or even 90 years after a natural infection with influenza. That was a woman who got the Spanish flu, still showed immunity 90 years later. So rather than being pessimistic towards people gaining immunity after they've had COVID or had a vaccine, studies argue for significant optimism. In fact, there have been no scientific studies arguing or proving that infection with COVID does not create immunity. There have been no studies showing significant numbers of reinfections. Of the 30 million Americans who have had COVID, only a handful of reinfections have been discovered. In fact, the New York Times reported last fall, more than 38 million people at the time worldwide had been infected with the coronavirus. And as of that date, fewer than five of these cases had been confirmed by scientists to be reinfections. Scientists interviewed for the article concluded, in most cases, a second bout with the virus produced milder symptoms or none at all. Given that no scientific studies have shown significant numbers of reinfections of patients previously infected or previously vaccinated, what specific studies do you cite to argue that the public should be wearing masks well into 2022? I'm not sure I understand the connection of what you're saying about masks and reinfection. We're talking about people who have never been infected before. You're and telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity, and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, if it's not. If you the vaccine and you're wearing two masks, isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let, let's get down to the facts. Okay, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper they specifically say this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. And what study For, can you point to that shows significant let, reinfection? There are no studies that show just significant let, let, me, let me finish the response to your question, if you please. The other thing is that when you talk about reinfection and you don't, keep in the concept of variance, that's an entirely different ball game. That's a good reason for a mask. In the South African study conducted by J&J, &J, they found that people who were infected with wild type and were exposed to the variant in South Africa, the 351, it was as if they had never been infected before. They had no protection. So when you talk about reinfection, You've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months point if you're infected. The, but we in our country though, now have variants that are circulating. Significant reinfection. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? 
it doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild-type versus variants. And what, now, proof reinf- there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're so having one one seven that's becoming you're more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the it isn't based on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they wear their mask after they get the vaccine. Okay. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any sign. I I totally disagree with you. Dr. Fauci, if you could respond so that we could understand the difference between the uh, virus itself and the variants and the reason for a mask. I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't hear you. If you could um, respond to the question so that we could all understand the difference between the vaccine in uh, controlling the wild type versus the variants that are out there and the reason for wearing a mask, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, yes. First of all, when you have a variant, you have an immunity that you get what's convalescent, Sarah, and the same sort of thing. If I vaccinate you or me against the wild type, you get a certain level of antibody that's specific for a particular viral strain. If there's a circulating variant, you don't necessarily have it. You have some spillover immunity to be sure, but you diminish by anywhere from two to eightfold the protection. So the point I'm saying is that there are variants in now circulating. The point that Senator Paul was making was that if you look at wild type only, there is some clear cut credence to what he's saying. But we are living right now in a situation where we're having a dominance of 117, which was the original UK. We have a very troublesome variant in New York City, a 526. We've got two variants in California, a 427, 429, and we have a number of others. So we're not dealing with a static situation of the same virus. That was the only point I'm making. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Senator Murphy. Uh, Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Dr. Fauci, thank you for setting an example uh, over the course of the last year for Americans. You have made it clear that masks save Paul. Dr. Fauci, we don't know whether the pandemic started in a lab in Wuhan or evolved naturally, but we should want to know. Three million people have died from this pandemic, and that should cause us to explore all possibilities. Instead, government authorities, self-interested in continuing gain-of-function research, say there's nothing to see here. Gain-of-function research, as you know, is juicing up naturally occurring animal viruses to infect humans. 
To arrive at the truth, the U.S. government should admit that the Wuhan Virology Institute was experimenting to enhance the coronavirus's ability to infect humans. Juicing up super viruses is not new. Scientists in the U.S. have long known how to mutate animal viruses to infect humans. For years, Dr. Ralph Barrick, a virologist in the U.S., has been collaborating with Dr. Shi Zengli of the Wuhan Virology Institute, sharing his discoveries about how to create super viruses. This gain-of-function research has been funded by the NIH. The collaboration between the U.S. and the Wuhan Virology Institute continues. Doctors Barrick and Shi worked together to insert bat virus spike protein into the backbone of the deadly SARS virus and then used this man-made supervirus to infect human airway cells. Think about that for a moment. The SARS virus had a 15% mortality. We're fighting a pandemic that has about a 1% mortality. Can you imagine if a SARS virus that's been juiced up and had viral proteins added to it, to the spike protein, if that were released accidentally? Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entire, entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund of Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund gain, Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is... It's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North Carolina, not You don't think in inserting China. a bat virus spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain of function? That you is would not... You in the minority because at least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working yeah. Group saying that it is gain of function. Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain of function, despite the fact that people tweet that. So do you still support it? sending money to the Wuhan Virology Institute? We do not send money now to the to Wuhan uh, do Virology Institute. you support Institute. sending money? We did, under your tutelage. We were sending it through EcoHealth. It was a sub-agency right. and a sub-grant. Do you support that the money from NIH that was going to the Wuhan Institute? Let me explain to you why that was done. The SARS-CoV-1 originated in bats in China. It would have been irresponsible of us if we did not investigate the bat viruses and the serology to see who might have been or, infected Or perhaps it would be irresponsible China. to send it to the Chinese government that we may not be able to trust with this uh, knowledge and with this uh, incredibly dangerous viruses. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research... I don't favor gain-of-function research in China. You are saying naturally. things that are not correct. Government defenders of gain-of-function, such as yourself, say that COVID-19 uh, mutations were random and not designed by man. But interestingly, the technique that Dr. Barrick developed forces mutations by serial passage through cell culture that the mutations appear to be natural. In fact, Dr. Barrick named the technique the no technique because the mutations appear naturally. 
Nicholas Baker of the New York Magazine said, nobody would know if the virus had been fabricated in a laboratory or grown in nature. Government authorities in the U.S., including yourself, unequivocally deny that COVID-19 could have escaped a lab. But even Dr. Xi in Wuhan wasn't so sure. According to Nicholas Baker, Dr. Xi wondered, could this new virus have come from her own laboratory? She checked her records frantically and found no matches. That really took a load off my mind, she said. I had not slept for days. The director of the gain-of-function research in Wuhan couldn't sleep because she was terrified that it might be in her lab. Dr. Barrick, an advocate of gain-of-function research, admits the main problem that the Institute of Virology has is the outbreak occurred in close proximity. What are the odds? Barrick responded, could you rule out a laboratory escape? The answer in this case is probably not. Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute but of Virology. You do support it in the U.S. We have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're, you're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. And we should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from, but again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you're, no matter how parsing many times words, you're parsing you say words. it, there it was didn't research, There was research done with Dr. Xi and Dr. Barrick. They have collaborated on gain-of-function research where they enhanced the SARS virus to infect human airway cells and they did it by merging a new spike protein on it. That is gain of function. That was joint research between the Wuhan Institute and Dr. Barrick. You can't deny it. Senator Paul, your time, time has expired. Dr. Fauci, I will let you respond to that. We need to move on. Excuse me? You're, I will allow you to respond to that, and then we'll move on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say, we, I, I don't know how many times I can say it, Madam Chair, we did not fund gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Thank you. Senator Smith. Dr. Fauci, as you are aware, it is a crime to lie to Congress. Section 1001 of the U.S. Criminal Code creates a felony and a five-year penalty for lying to Congress. On your last trip to our committee on May 11th, you stated that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And yet, gain-of-function research was done entirely in the Wuhan Institute by Dr. Xi and was funded by the NIH. I'd like to ask unanimous consent to insert into the record the Wuhan Virology paper entitled Discovery of a Rich Gene Pool of Bat SARS-Related Coronaviruses. Please deliver a copy of the journal article to Dr. Fauci. In this paper, Dr. Xi credits the NIH and lists the actual number of the grant that she was given by the NIH. In this paper, she took two bat coronavirus genes, spike genes, 
and combine them with a SARS-related backbone to create new viruses that are not found in nature. These lab-created viruses were then to shown to replicate in humans. These experiments combine genetic information from different coronaviruses that infect animals but not humans to create novel artificial viruses able to infect human cells. Viruses that in nature only infect animals were manipulated in the Wuhan lab to gain the function of infecting humans. This research fits the definition of the research that the NIH said was subject to the pause in 2014 to 2017, a pause in funding on gain of function. But the NIH failed to recognize this, defines it away, and it never came under any scrutiny. Dr. Richard E. Bright, a molecular biologist from Rutgers, described this research in Wuhan as, the Wuhan lab used NIH funding to construct novel chimeric SARS-related coronaviruses able to infect human cells and laboratory animals. This is high-risk research that creates new potential pandemic pathogens, potential pandemic pathogens that exist only in the lab, not in nature. This research matches, these are Dr. Ebright's words, this research matches, indeed epitomizes, the definition of gain-of-function research done entirely in Wuhan, for which there was supposed to be a federal pause. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Microphone. Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its yeah. transmissibility to humans, right. you're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH. one person. Let's read from the NIH uh, definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the okay. world from a pandemic. And let's let Dr. Fauci. I have to, well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It did I come can, from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature, 
it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. It no is molecularly. Those viruses caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain of function research was going on in that lab and NIH funded it. That you is can't not. Get away from it. It meets your definition and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm Senator not Paul, obfuscating the truth. Senator you Paul's are the one. Time is expired, but I will allow the witness to. Let me just finish. I want everyone to understand that if you look at those viruses, and that's judged by qualified virologists and evolutionary biologists. Those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result in SARS-CoV-2. No one's saying caused the pandemic. Paul, We're saying they are gain-of-function viruses because yeah, they were animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you, you admit the truth. And you implying... Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. And, and you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. Have and if anybody and is lying been. here, Senator, it is you. Uh, Senator Smith. Senator Paul. Dr. Fauci. I don't expect you today to admit that you approved of NIH funding for gain-of-function research in Wuhan, but your repeated denials have worn thin, and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature that actually did gain in lethality. The facts are clear. The NIH did fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan, despite your protestations. You can deny it all you want, but even the Chinese authors of the paper, in their paper, admit that viruses not found in nature were created, and yes, they gained in infectivity. Your persistent denials, though, are not simply a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. As Professor Kevin Esfelt of MIT has written, gain-of-function research looks like a gamble that civilization can't afford to risk. And yet here we are again with you steadfast in your denials. Why does it matter? Because gain-of-function research with laboratory-created viruses not found in nature could cause a pandemic even worse the next time. We're suffering today from one that has a mortality of approximately 1%. They're experimenting with viruses that have mortalities of between 15 and 50%. Yes, our civilization could be at risk from one of these viruses. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with known pandemic-causing viruses are incredibly risky. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with coronaviruses that have as much as 50% mortality could endanger civilization as we know it. And here you sit, unwilling to accept any responsibility for the current pandemic and unwilling to take any steps to prevent gain-of-function research from possibly unleashing an even more deadly virus. You mislead the public by saying that the published viruses could not be COVID. Well, exactly no one is alleging that. No one is alleging that the published viruses by the Chinese are COVID. What we are saying is that this was risky type of research, gain-of-function research. It was risky to share this with the, Ch with the Chinese and that COVID may have been created from a not yet revealed virus. We don't anticipate the Chinese are going to reveal the virus if it came from their lab. You know that, but you continue to mislead. You continue to support NIH money going to Wuhan. You continue to say you trust the Chinese scientist. You appear to have learned nothing from this pandemic. 
Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. Gain, first of all, gain-of-function is a very nebulous term. We have spent, not us, but outside bodies, a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain of function okay. from the NIH well, website. Well, I can get back to that in a moment if we have time, but let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality and that you do experiments to enhance that, hence the word E-P-P-P, enhanced Pathogens of potemic, potential So when EcoHealth Alliance took the virus, well, SHC014, and combined it with WIV1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature, and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research? According to the framework and guidelines... So what you're doing P3, is defining away gain-of-function. No. You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible, and you're, you're completely trying to escape right. the idea that we should do something about trying to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's, the preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. That's what you've done. You've changed the website to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But that's, the thing is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in lethality. It's a new virus. That's not gain of function. According to the definition that is currently <laughs> operable, you know, Senator, let's one. make it clear for the people who are listening. The current definition was done over a two to three year period by outside bodies, including the NSABB, two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment, and then on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, I, I coincidentally have not changed the definition any definition. On the same day the NIH said that, yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared, the new definition, to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan. Until you accept it, until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit well, that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Th thank you, Senator Paul, and I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. Yeah, well, there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation here, uh, Madam Chair, that I, I don't think I'd be able to refute all of them, but just a couple of them. 
for the listens to hear for. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. The current pandemic, okay? Number two, you said the overwhelming amount of evidence indicates that's a lab leak. I believe most card-carrying viral phylogenists and molecular virologists would disagree with you that is much more likely, even though we leave open all possibilities, it's much more likely that this was a natural occurrence. Third, you say we We've can We've tested 80,000 animals and no animals Senator have been Paul, found with COVID. Senator Paul, the time is set for And third, you made a statement just a moment ago that's completely incorrect, where you say we continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You proved it in August of last year. No, no, your statement says, quote, I wrote it down as you were writing. You continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You were in committee a month ago Which and said you still trust the Chinese scientists and you still support the research over there. You said it a month ago Senator in committee. Senator Paul, I have allowed Dr. Fauci to respond. You've had your time. I'm going to give him He's going to be dishonest. Minute. He ought to be challenged. S Senator Paul, we will allow Dr. Fauci to respond after you've given accusations like that. Dr. Fauci. Well, I don't have any more to say except to say that, as usual, and I've, I have a great deal of respect for this body of the Senate, and it makes me very uncomfortable to have to say something, but he is egregiously incorrect in what he says. Thank you. Thank History you. will figure that out on its own. So we will turn to Senator Hassan. Thank you.